You are listening to The Heart of Christ, a year-long podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. Throughout 2022, we will spend time walking through Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. Today, I'll be talking with one of our members, Leslie Bustard. And I need to mention here at the beginning that throughout the recording, we experience audio quality issues, which was entirely my fault in the setup. But even through these audio struggles, I look forward to how God will use Leslie's reflections on the heart of Christ as he shows compassion for weary, stumbling sinners and sufferers. Welcome to episode two of The Heart of Christ. My name is Keith Winder, one of the pastors of Wheatland, and today I'm joined by Leslie Bustard. Leslie's one of the longtime members of Wheatland, and she and her husband, Ned, have three daughters, Carrie, Maggie, and Elspeth. And Leslie and Ned have been part of our church family for over 20 years. How many exactly do you know? Uh, forever how long the church has been around. Oh, so it's like 26. 20, yeah. So 26 years. I, I ripped six years off of your credit. <laughs> you didn't get credit for this. So we're going to be reflecting particularly on chapter two of Gentle Moly, which is called His Heart in Action. So thanks for joining me, Leslie, and be willing to do this. Oh, I'm really glad. And first, the first thing I want is because not even though you've been around for 26 years, not everybody has. Um, and so for people who are listening to this, I wanted you to share just a little bit about yourself, whether it's something that really interests you or just some way we can get to know you more. So, yes, we've been part of Wheatland for 26 years. Carrie, our oldest, was two when the church started, so I always kind of keep track of how long we've been around by Based on Carrie's age. age. <laughs> right. So yeah. I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, and went to college at Millersville outside of Lancaster and met Ned, and we got married after college. And except for about like a two and a half year stint in Maryland, we've spent our whole married life here in Lancaster. So that's about 30 years. So I think, you know, I've been here in Lancaster longer than I was in Wilmington. But we live in the city in a century old row home, and that's where we raised our girls. Um, I was, I love teaching. I was a homeschooling mom for a while and also taught a lot of other people's kids in, in different homeschooling formats. So, um, and I love teaching kids history and literature and poetry and Shakespeare. And I've also, I love theater, so I loved mm. producing plays, which I did for about 10 years. Taught at Veritas for a little while, and then right before the pandemic happened, I found out I had cancer, and I know a lot of people at church know about that. So the past couple of years have been pandemic and dealing with um, stage four melanoma and stage two um, breast cancer, but right now everything is pretty calm, like no tumors, um, but the past two years have been a lot of dealing with them. Um, Treatments and surgery and side effects to meds and crazy things. But even in the midst of this, this is why I've loved this book. I feel like I've learned even more. And it feels like a mystery, but learning more about God's kindness and the heart of Christ for me. And so I've also, through this hard time, have started doing a lot of writing and a lot of poetry writing, which are things that have always been a desire, but I never had enough time or my creative energies were going to other things that I loved and so right now I'm writing and writing poetry but also putting together a a, uh, what is it called a conference Mm -hmm. with our our, um, 
publishing company because Ned and I are partners with friends in Baltimore called, and it's called Square Halo Books and we are putting on a conference about the Inklings mm -hmm. and that'll be in February and that's like my baby and that's been really fun. <laughs> it's kind of like producing a play but it'll be all day long. Yeah, so, yeah right, yeah. right. Uh, well this book, um, it's interesting, I, I don't know if I ever thought of this until I read this book but Dane Orland says that the only time Jesus sort of describes his heart, like the only time he says, like, this is what my heart's like, is in Matthew 11 when he says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And so, so I know before I read that, I probably had all these conceptions about, if somebody said, what's, what is the heart of Christ? Like, what's Jesus' heart like? I probably would have started naming off things. I don't think I would have ever said lowly. I may have got to gentleness, maybe, but I'm sure I would have never said lowly. So if you think about before reading this book, if someone said, like, oh, tell me, like, tell me about Jesus, tell me about his heart, what's what's Jesus like? How would you describe that? Maybe you would have said, it's gentle and lowly. I would and not then, have. <laughs> or maybe not. So how would you answer that question? Yeah, I feel like just kind of like what you had said, I don't think I would have ever thought about thinking about Jesus and what his heart was. Like the way he put that in the book, yeah. it totally made my eyes go like, oh. Yeah, like I don't know. I know I would have said things like, kind of what you had said. I would have thought about him being compassionate and patient. Mm -hmm. I would have thought about like how the Psalms talk about God's steadfast love and his kindness. So those are things I would have thought about. But to put it in that idea of what his heart is, what's that like deep down, what makes him yeah. tick? Yeah. I don't think I would have said gentle and lonely at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's exciting to me. Yeah, because we often would like think, okay, how do I see Jesus act, like in the Bible? How do I see him act? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And then we and then we run that back to that must mean this is true right. about Jesus. But but in Matthew eleven, when he says that, he's kind of saying like, this is what's true about my heart. So you're going to see this in the way that I act and the way that I interact with you. But it's it's not. Yeah, we often think of it backwards. We think of like, oh, well, Jesus did this and this. He must be compassionate. Jesus did this and this. Exactly. He must be kind. It's like, no, he is in his heart, like you said, kind. And that's why we see Jesus live in the, in, with kindness or with compassion. Yeah. And I'm excited to think about, um, or interested also, now that we're thinking about Jesus as being gentle and lowly, and what does that actually mean to go back now and look at those familiar stories mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. enlarge my imagination with the thoughts about him being gentle and lowly and why is he moving towards people yeah. the way he does. Yeah. Instead of just saying, oh, he's kind, it's what's deep down in who he is mm -hmm. that moves him that way. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the interesting things about this chapter, too, like he focuses in on this idea of compassion, but he starts off by connecting Jesus's, his heart of compassion with his compassionate actions. And doing it in the direction I think is the right way, which is mm -hmm. not the way I often do it. But today, his, exactly. he has a compassionate heart, and it moves him towards compassionate action. And so recently in a Sunday school class, I was talking about this idea of compassion, and that the, the word, when we take it from the Greek and then back into the Hebrew, that it's connected really closely with the idea of a mother's womb. Mm. And so that like God's compassionate heart, or the compassionate heart of Jesus, is this like deep stirring and longing for the nurture and the care of, of people. Uh, in the same way, like a mother's womb, like it brings out this, this longing for someone's care and well-being. 
And so I'm wondering for you if, like we've all experienced this in different ways, the compassionate heart of God flowing out into compassionate action for us. But can you talk about a time or just maybe it's a specific example or maybe it's just broad ways that you've experienced this heart of compassion that's flown out of God? Hmm. Well, I, to, if it's okay to backtrack just a little bit, I would say that my growing up years, even though I grew up in a Christian environment, I had Christian parents, I went to a PCA church, mm-hmm. and I went to a Christian school, and I, I had a, I had a, um, I loved reading the Bible, and, and so I think I had an inclination towards it, mm-hmm. um, but I did not get at all what it meant for God to be compassionate towards me. I don't even know if that a lot was taught a lot. Mm-hmm. I just was really aware of two things that I knew how to do the right thing, so I didn't want to, me- I, I wanted to do the right thing, but I also knew I had the reputation of doing the right mm-hmm. thing, yeah. and so I didn't want to mess that up. But <laughs> deep inside, I knew I was pretty messed up. Like, I knew I couldn't keep the Ten Commandments, which seemed to be the big thing. <laughs> like, I know I accepted Jesus in my heart, but I can't seem to keep them in my heart, the Ten Commandments. Um, and so I, I've gone through a lot of my early years, and then as, as I've gotten older, I know God has been so kind in, in moving me away from that and helping me know Him better. But I, I just felt like Jesus would look at me as if I was a Pharisee, and I would not have thought about that compassionate heart that God would have for me um, because I didn't understand grace like at all. Yeah. So, um, so my life has been a lot of, Lord, I want to know you better. I want to love you better. I want to know you better. And I want to be known by you in, in a way that feels not how it is felt. You know, so so there's the, this long journey that's got different stops and starts and stuff. And so as I look back now, I see that idea that we are united to Christ and and that he's not, if, if we're in him, he's always going to keep doing his work in us. So I know mm-hmm. he's not letting me go. Yeah. Whatever struggles he's allowed me to struggle through has only made the truths that I've learned along the way be even bigger and sweeter and more gift-like. Mm-hmm. So I guess I share that with you because I feel like as I've, I've seen as I've become older, I've started to see more of those compa- that mm-hmm. compassion. But it still also just feels like a mystery. How do we know we're experiencing God's compassion and isn't just that we had a good meal? Yeah. You know, or yeah. like or we just, you know, have a great church or whatever. Like how do we how do we know that that's of God? And so sometimes it still feels like a mystery to me, yeah, but yeah. one story for me feeling like I'm, I've learned and experienced God's compassion was um, when, let's see, Ellie, who's 20, she was about five. We were a homeschooling family, and I, I have had this love-hate relationship with homeschooling. I, I still have a homeschooling mama's heart, but it does cause a lot of anxiety <laughs> of like, I'm going to ruin my children. And so I did really, I went through different seasons where I really struggled with that. Like I didn't know how to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. It was too much anxiety and I didn't even know if he was listening. Mm-hmm. And so I went through a time where I allowed myself to be so anxious and angry and it turned into anger. And um, I got angry at something, and I was in the kitchen, and I was alone, and I just started slamming stuff, and then Ned comes down, and I start yelling. So this is a long time ago. Mm 
so I can tell the story. But I just started yelling at Ned. I probably punched him. And then I threw some furniture. Like, I actually, like, put a dent in, a, like, our floor. The girls end up seeing me. And I'm yelling so much that I'm hurting my... I'm, like, actually sore. My throat is sore for, like, a couple of days. And I basically later on say to God, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being a Christian. I don't want to do it anymore. It doesn't matter what you do. I'll just let the kids go to church. I'll even go to church, but I'm not following you anymore. I just, I'm not into this anymore. And the Lord let me sit in that for, I don't know long, maybe a week or so, because I was like, doesn't matter what you're going to do. I'm just not going to give in. But seriously, one Sunday, soon after that, whatever the sermon was, I remember what the sermon was, it spoke directly to what I was struggling with. Like whatever he was talking about and whatever the Holy Spirit was doing, my heart just melted. And I just did feel loved by God, even when I was like screaming and pounding. And um, yeah, so that was a place where I feel like I experienced his kindness, his compassion, his moving towards me. Um, And then just, I don't know how to explain it, but this, these whole years of, but these past few years of having cancer, um, uh, like I just, as soon as we found out, I just felt this mysterious peace mm-hmm. that I know comes from the Lord. And I, and, and when, when I was crying, I felt cared for in that by him. Um, I, so I feel like his kindness has been shown to me through the body of Christ, like our church, and like when the elders anointed me with oil and their hands were on me and everyone was crying and praying over me, like that was such a picture for me of his love and compassion. Um, So there's those, those real ways that he has moved into the situation. And like I said in our, my testimony recently, I don't know how God's sovereignty works in these hard things but i know he's called us called me called my family that this is happening i know he knows he knew it was going to happen he knows it's going to happen he knows what's going to happen um but he's moved into all of it in a way that sustained me so that i can be aware of his love yeah um i know i'm allowed to be angry I haven't gotten angry yet. Maybe that'll come when it gets even worse. <laughs> but I've, I've cried and been sorrowful and lamented a lot. And so I feel like his kindness and compassion has also been in how the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to in your mind and in your heart to remind you of his presence. Mm-hmm. So there was one time when I was praying and crying and being like, well, I don't really want to die right now. And I... I started picturing Jesus in the garden and his crying and his lamenting and his saying, please pass, you know, let this cup pass from me. And um, I felt like Jesus was saying, I know, I know what you're feeling and I'm here for you. And, and yeah, like I, I don't even know exactly what he was saying, but it was just like, he's lived it so he can carry this with me. And and he's called me to walk in something that I need to submit to, and he promises to always be with me. And I feel that compassion, too. Yeah. There's a lot in all of that. And it still feels like a mystery. That whole idea of a peace that surpasses all imagine, mm-hmm. your imagination and understanding, 
That's how it feels. Yeah. But it's real. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting too, like, how when we think about God's compassion, we we experience it like in this two ways that you've talked about. Like we experience it one way, like reading the scriptures and or hearing a sermon or whatever it is, and the Holy Spirit moves in us and stirs this in us. But then also we can also think about this ways that people in our lives have been compassionate towards us. And our tendency sometimes is to think like, oh that person is so oh they were so compassionate and kind. Which is true, but that's that's also God's compassion and God's kindness. Uh, shining through that particular person. So we tend to chalk up the one thing, oh, like, oh, I experienced God's compassion when I heard that sermon or when I read the scriptures and, and like, I was had this sense of calm or something over me. But the other one is just as much. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're saying you've experienced from people at Wheatland or whatever, we've experienced God's compassion through so many other people. And it's not just that that person is compassionate, that God is showing his compassion through through people, and that's so often how we experience it. Yes. It's God using those others around us to, oh, I see God's compassion in the way he's using the body of Christ, yeah. uh, living out God's compassion. There was, um, I, when it all started, like when the cancer stuff started, and I just couldn't eat, really, I didn't have a desire to eat anything except bread. I was like, mm-hmm. bread and jelly. Like, mm-hmm. really good toast. And so somehow the word got out that that's what I wanted. And um, so I was getting so much different types of bread <laughs> foods yeah, right. that I had to like put it in the freezer. And I remember thinking, um, and the other thing that's kind of ironic is that that summer I had been working at getting back to a really healthy weight and I'd been working out and in a way that made me stronger, like physically, but also mentally. And so I'm like, I don't want all of this bread. I was working on not eating a lot of bread, but that's all I wanted. And and so when I was talking, I was like standing there in my kitchen looking at this bread on the kitchen table and going, okay, this is great. And what came into my mind was, I'm the bread of life. And it was like this like living picture yeah, of Jesus yeah. coming close and being the bread of life. Yeah. Um, the other way, like I think there's a, a way and I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than working at trying to keep your eyes open to what is mm-hmm. God doing so yeah. that, and there's still the mystery of how the Holy Spirit works, you know, but I felt like I've always tried to keep my eyes open to how God's working since the times I've struggled with so much anxiety, knowing that I've had a hard heart and blind eyes that I'm trying to teach myself that spiritual discipline of having open eyes, which I think has helped me along the way to submit and enjoy what the body of Christ was doing for me as if it was God. Because we also learned that when my dad died from a really bad car accident, and we immediately started experiencing God's spiritual comfort, but also the body of Christ's comfort. And that day... The day after my dad died was a Sunday, or he died like really early in the morning, like at one o'clock in the morning, and it was Sunday. And it was Glenn Boone, who was the worship leader, who shared with our church that dad had died, that we had been in an accident, they had been in an accident, my dad had died. And I don't know why, but that was one of the most compassionate things that God could have done for me Hmm. in that time period, was to know that 
a man that was a dear friend and their family was a dear friend that we had all we all served together that he was the one who was sharing with the rest of my church family what had happened to our family that just felt like god's kindness um anyway those are a couple of other yeah. thoughts yeah it's interesting when you think about like the mystery of the way God works. I know my, my dad, every morning when he wakes up, he prays, I don't know the exact words, but it's something like, like God, don't let me miss the ways that yes. you're working. Because it's like, you have to wake up and assume God is working, going to work in that, in your day ahead. Yeah. And so he's so he's like, I, I wake up recognizing, God, you're going to do something. Normally I'm going to miss it. Right. <laughs> it's like, God, could you please help me not... I know I'm going to miss some of them, but please help me not miss all the ways that you're caring for me, or particularly with this, all the ways that you're showing compassion right. to me. Like, don't let me miss those, so that they just happen and they go, and I don't recognize your heart in this. And I, I've always found like I love that. that's a good one, Dad. Like it is because aren't sometimes we assume we we think we know what God's answers should be or what His kindness should look like. Mm -hmm. Like, wouldn't it? be much more kind of God to take cancer away from me. You know, wouldn't that be the best thing? Well, yeah, it would be actually. But that might not be what he's going to do. So if I'm stuck on one answer to prayer, I might miss out on all the other ways yeah. that yeah. he is actually in it because I want it to look a certain way. Yeah. And not that desiring to be healed is a bad thing because, of course, that's what I want. I want that for myself and my family. but. That might not be what God's giving us. So I don't want to miss out on all the other stuff that God's giving us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah to keep our eyes open to his compassion in our lives. Yeah. It could look different than what we think it should look like. Yeah. Yeah, so so I'm reading so we're reading about compassion in this particular part of the book. And so when anytime I talk or emphasize maybe or talk about God's compassion or maybe I'm just thinking about it. What I tend to then do, or somebody else might point out to me, like, but what about oh, yeah. when Jesus like runs into the temple and overturns all the tables? Or what about the way that he talked to the Pharisees or something like that? Like, so shouldn't we have this balance, like that this there's an equal level or something like that of compassion and then maybe anger or wrath or judgment or something like that? Whatever you, you could picture in mind is the opposing idea or character trait. Um, so then, but Dane Ortland uh, chastised me, even though he didn't know it, but he did, because he's like, he, he, made this, he made this point that it's not that we should be necessarily looking for a balance, like, oh, we need to balance God's compassion with something else, but that he says, like, if the Bible disproportionately talks about and shows God's heart of compassion compared to other things, then we should think about that. Like, we shouldn't try to provide this, uh, balance that's not there. That like, oh, if God is shown to be compassionate, so in Exodus 34, he said the first thing he says about himself is that he's compassionate. And then you see it all over the place. Like, don't try to create this balance and say, oh, um, well, yeah, he is compassionate, but he's also this. So let's not focus too much on his compassion. I found that interesting. I don't actually know how to, so I'm still wrestling with that because I don't know what that actually means or I don't know what that looks like I guess in my life but have you have you in your life felt the need to sort of do that as well like anytime you think oh God's loving but he's also <laughs> uh, and what did you think about that idea of trying no like if it's disproportionate in the scriptures then let it be disproportionate in the way yeah. you think about God 
Well, again, it was, again, something like what you were saying. Before I got to that section, um, I was starting to think, because I've been thinking a lot about the kindness of Jesus and the kindness of God and his kindness to me as I've been walking through this time with cancer. Because as I've been walking through this time with cancer, it also has been a time to think more or repent more or talk to God more about Sin issues, issues, just whatever issues yeah. I've struggled with through my life. Yeah. And I honestly, and again, I don't know how to explain it, but I have felt his kindness to me in all the areas that I've been repenting or talking to him about my um, discouragements or the things I'm lamenting or things I've done. And I have felt him come, a, and again, I'm a Presbyterian. I don't know how these things happen. I don't know how it works. But that I have felt him come alongside me and help me keep repenting, but then also say, okay, we've repented. Let's talk about something else. And so then I started thinking, oh, am I like thinking too much about his kindness and not his holiness? Yeah. Like, shouldn't yeah. I just yeah. be thinking about like how awesome and holy he is? And then and so I was, that's what I was thinking about when we got to this part of the book. I'm like, oh, I've been thinking about that, but yeah. in a different, in a different way. Yeah. And, um, and I thought, you know, at least in what I had been thinking about, I do end up thinking about God's holiness when we're in worship or like I do, um, I do the, I do a prayer book that when it, when you enter into prayer in the, the beginning of each mm -hmm. morning, it's very much focusing on like the holiness of God. And yeah. so I thought, well, God is making sure that I'm not disproportionate. But yeah. back to your question, I think that yes, when I was growing up, again, I understood when I looked at scripture that God had these positive characteristics to him, yeah. but I didn't know that personally. And I didn't believe it for myself personally, yeah. Yeah. which ended up causing a lot of problems in my heart and in how I interacted with people and how I interacted with Ned and my daughters and my insecurities. And I don't think, so I wonder as we think about how do we find that balance between Jesus being lowly and humble and we'll look at his anger is how, why was he angry in those situations? Wasn't he angry because of injustice? Mm -hmm. Wasn't he angry yeah at self-righteousness. Mm -hmm. So that, as I've been thinking about this idea, it, I go back to the Psalms and I think, well, yeah, we do get to see God angry or the Psalmist saying, you know, please put your wrath on these people. But we also see this over and over and over again, his steadfast love, his, his kindness, his, the other thing I think about how he has his heart for us is that he gives us prayers to pray that shows us he knows we are weak, that we need him to be compassionate. Like just that prayer of unite my heart to praise your name, that means he knows our heart's gonna be divided and we need words to help us move towards him to have a united heart, which means he's moving towards us. So I don't know if I'm just now just rambling, <laughs> but I feel like when you look at scripture, it is, yeah there's so much of his kindness mm -hmm. and we see his anger either whether it's towards his people or people who aren't his people is many times wrapped up in justice issues mm -hmm. yeah. and 
doesn't that seem like a good thing? Yeah. Like that justice is coming out of the fact that he does actually love and has a compassion for those people who haven't been receiving yeah. what they've been called to receive. Yeah, that's, so, like, that's why I think you talking about this holiness is helpful too because I, I don't know, maybe I came up with this, but probably not. Um, <laughs> I probably read it somewhere because if it's helpful, it's not me. But like God is compassionate within, like his heart is compassion. His heart is not angry. Uh, so right. compassion flows out of him. But he's also holy right. and he's just and he's mm-hmm. good. So when things, so when, so when we are unjust or if there's injustice or when we are not good but when we are evil, now there is an anger that comes in response to that. Right. Like compassion flows out of God's heart because he's compassionate. Mm-hmm. But when he acts in some sort of anger or judgment or wrath, it's in response to, it's because something else was done. So, yeah, so there's injustice or yeah. it's his holiness was affected and, right. and, and it's sin and evil. And so, yeah, compassion is his heart as well as other things, mercy and grace mm-hmm. and steadfast love. But the character trait that the Bible recognizes with anger is that he's slow to anger. Exactly. So like, it's like God's patience in anger is the character trait. It's not It's not God is compassionate and gracious, anger, angry, steadfast love. It's, it's that he's slow to anger yeah. and he has steadfast love. And so he that's why I understood. according to yeah. what sins deserve. Right. And yeah. I wonder if, I wonder if that news is such good news that that's who God is and that's his heart that we don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So we need to somehow find a balance to say, well, look at, look at, we have to find that balance between yeah. his love and his anger. Maybe it's so good that we can't even believe it. Or maybe I sometimes think for myself, maybe, I don't know, it's a, a new thought. Maybe we don't realize how much we need it mm-hmm. or how the, the truth that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance that we sometimes, maybe we don't believe it because we can't be that way. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be that kind all the time or we don't believe that if I'm kind to that child that they're going to repent or if I'm yeah. kind to that friend they're going to repent. Like maybe there's just a, a lack of belief that it really is good mm-hmm. or we really need it or he really is that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we struggle with just the idea that compassion and kindness can lead mm-hmm. to repentance. Like, how can that? Oh, doesn't it have to be like? Don't I have to be chastised right. in order for me to repent? Right. Which is why, like, something like church discipline is so hard. It is. Uh, and of course, it's also hard because it's been abused in so many ways. But but like, even when done well, like, oh, this, like, this is supposed to be a kindness for someone because it leads us to repentance mm-hmm. and it brings us back and it reminds us. Mm-hmm. This isn't about a couple of elders or people being angry at you. Right. Uh, this, is, this is supposed to be uh, wrapped up in kindness and compassion. Uh, and we're suffering with this difficulty and this pain yeah. in, order to, in order to bring you back. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how I think in some ways it like this idea of struggling with God's compassion, for me, like it sometimes can be uncomfortable. So uh, Orlin, I'll, I'll read this because I liked it so much. Uh, he says this, this idea that he's pushing about God's compassion heart. This is deeper than saying Jesus is saying that Jesus is loving or merciful or gracious. The cumulative testimony of the four gospels 
is that when Jesus sees the fallenness of the world all about him, to his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that ultimately that is like a great, or maybe the greatest comfort, that in my sin and in my suffering, Jesus doesn't say, whoa, I gotta get away from you, but that he comes toward me. But at the same time, it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And and so that that's how I've like I, I feel like sometimes that this the pursuit of God is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So how have you experienced that sort of maybe you haven't? How have you experienced that uncomfortableness of like, oh, I'm a sinner and Jesus is pursuing me? Yeah. Oh, maybe could you stay away? Right. Actually. I mean I know it is the greatest comfort. And of course we could talk about that too, because it is the greatest comfort. But sometimes it also makes us uncomfortable. Yeah, because it really calls for one to be willing to be, like, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I'm broken, and I know whether I'm, the places of my brokenness have been because of things I've done or things that have been done to me, um, but there is a place of having to be um, transparent and vulnerable with the Lord in those things, especially in those things that I've done wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I don't want to always have to be honest about that. Yeah. Can we just like, can we just have a bunch of excuses as to why I did what I did? Yeah. Could yeah. that just be okay? Um, and maybe it is okay. Maybe he's like, I understand that's why he went to that place. I don't know. But again, wrapped up with holiness, um, again, going on a tangent. Um, have I experienced that? Yes. I have felt that um, that not wanting to be vulnerable and that feeling of can I just or the belief that I can somehow pull myself up from my bootstraps yeah. I hate yeah. that cliche but it comes out of my mouth easily I can somehow <laughs> pull it together yeah. so I don't actually need you to fix it mm -hmm. because that I don't want to have to I don't want to have to be that vulnerable or that messed up I think there's a lack of understanding really how deep sin is or how it affects things. Um, and again, I think it goes back to that believing, is that really, is that really the case? Are you really that slow to anger? Mm -hmm. Are you really moving towards me in that sin? The more I started picturing God as the prodigal son's father, waiting and looking for the prodigal son to return, and I would picture in my mind, Oh, he's walking down to him with his arms open wide. Yeah. Like, that's who God is? And the more I could picture that, that that's God towards me, that has just been a very beautiful picture that has helped me move away from that feeling of, I can't, I don't want that. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, also, I don't remember when this was, and I don't remember. I'm sorry, Luke. I don't remember why he was preaching, why he shared this example. But and I'm pretty sure it was Luke. But when we think about Jesus forgiving us, we think that he's just like, okay, I'll do it again for you. You know, mm -hmm. like what is really the attitude that Jesus has when he's forgiving us? Yeah. Is he forgiving us because he says, okay, I died on the cross, so now I'm going to forgive you, and I'm the one who's sitting here interceding between you and God. But no, Luke was talking about, and it made sense in the passage, like he actually delights to move towards you and restore mm -hmm. you because he knows how sin really is affecting you and he wants you to have life. Yeah. So he yeah. loves to move towards you and, and restore you and forgive you because mm -hmm. that's what love does. That's what his love does. And he's not upset about it. Yeah. I remember hearing him say that, and I know I'm not saying it the way Luke said it, 
but I was like, really? That yeah. just was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's why I love, and I say it all the time, uh, but I love in the Westminster Confession it says that out of God's mere good pleasure. Yes. Like, because it really point, it really pushes that idea that, no, God doesn't forgive us because it's like, well, like, uh, that's who that's I am, so I guess I'll do it. <laughs> but it's like, no, he, he really wants to, and there seems to be some sort of joy, like, yeah. yeah, there's a joy that God has in coming to his hurting people and saying, like, no, I, I forgive you. I love you uh, in spite of, like, I love you in all of this. And yeah. and I'm not doing it like, well, because I'm God, I guess I have to. It's like, no, like, I long to do this. I want to do this. And I guess, I guess it's so hard for us because none of us are naturally like that. Like, none of us exactly. like, oh, yeah, I long to forgive people. I right. just anticipate it with joy every day. Like, right. none of us do that. And it doesn't mean that sometimes within forgiveness we don't then experience that as joy. Like, but oh, that was good. Like, that was good for me. It was good for the other person. Right. Like, oh, that was a good thing. And now I can see how there is some joy in that. But, like, God constantly always wants to come to his people who are confessing and repenting and says, like, no, I, yeah, I, this is what I desire. Like, yeah. I want this. I want to do this. It's, it's lovely. Orland, I love how he describes, he, he calls it, when God comes to us in our sin, and whether we've sinned or been sinned against, he calls it like he's rehumanizing us. Yes, I love and, that. Yeah, that's such a great, like, could that's be, beautiful. Because especially when we're sinned against, we can, we are dehumanized in a way. But also when we mm -hmm. sin, we're sort of like dehumanizing ourselves. Because so we're not true. who we're supposed to right. be as humans. But then when God comes to us in his compassion, like he's rehumanizing, he's like, no, like, I'm, I'm remaking you, in a sense, over and over and over again, conforming you to the image of my son, Jesus. And it's, yeah, like that, if there's anything to rest in, it's that. Like God keeps coming to us, joyously coming to us, to, to rehumanize us and to make us new over and over again. And it kind of reminds me of how, when, when we're reminded to think about what's really happening in the story of the Garden of Eden and God is wanting to dwell, he's making it so that God dwells with man. And so Jesus, by like what you're saying, this rehumanizing us, it's these ways that God is making it so that we're with him. I mean, we already are with him because we're united to Christ and we're, we have the Holy Spirit in us. But this need for forgiveness, mm -hmm. keeping the soft heart towards him so that there is a more reality of dwelling with him yeah yeah and it's just i don't think we re i know i don't and the more thinking about it and talking about it and living it these past couple of years the more i realized how how much i i've longed for it yes but the need for it and how he wants it for me too yeah um, yeah yeah i i think that's that's the greatest thing to think that this is what god wants and mm -hmm. It's, yeah, he desires to do this. And there's never any reluctance on God's, in God's heart to like, oh, I guess, I guess I'll, I guess I'll pursue this repentant person. Like, <laughs> I guess I, all right, if Leslie and Keith, if they're going to confess, I guess because I'm God, I'll do this. Like, there's never any hint of that. It's yeah. always, and it's, and of course we beautifully see that in Jesus. Just oh, yeah. over and over and over again, coming to people in their pain. So much so that people are just, People can't, like, every, the crowds are drawn to it, but then they also just, 
can't believe can't that believe it's happening. It, right. Why would somebody do this? So much that then sometimes it, like, it bothers them, just like it bothers us. Like, right. Really, aren't you going to also say something about that? Right. Yeah, right. but everybody is drawn to this because it's something that we've never seen before. Right. Yeah. Like the way that God is and then God in Jesus. Like, yeah, people had never seen that before and it blew them away. And so, yeah, my, my prayer is that in a sense, as we continue to read through this book, but that's what happens. Like we keep being blown away mm-hmm. by by the gentle, lowly heart of Christ. That we would keep over and over again as we slowly read through this. That it would keep shaping us, and we would keep being blown away, and then brought back to over and over again. Like, yeah. Wow, like, this is who God is. Yeah. This is wonderful. It's amazing. And I think our imagination does need to be formed by um, what we're seeing Him like in Scripture. And then maybe how we're seeing it playing out in our body of our church body or in our friends. Because sometimes I think about that idea of gentle and lowly and that word meek and how like, I don't know how many like bad Sunday school pictures you've seen of a meek Jesus. Like that doesn't bring me toward, that doesn't make me want to know Jesus at all. So I think sometimes what's already in our imagination of what we think gentle and lowly or meek is yeah. That's keeping us from embracing what that I, what that is yeah. truly in Him, mm-hmm. and that's why we need to really be paying attention to the stories of what He's like, or looking at script at the Old Testament, and if the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus, then what are those things about that we can learn about Jesus in the Old Testament, like mm-hmm. whether it's in the Psalms or in Isaiah, um, that can help us get that picture of gentle and meek. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. You're right. It's reading this helps us. Hopefully, encourages us to then keep going back to all the other things that we've read and keep yeah. all the other stories and see, like, oh, how how am I seeing this heart of Christ? How am I seeing the heart of the Triune God in all these stories? Exactly. Yeah. And how can right. I reread that? How can mm-hmm. yeah? How can that be reframed for me? What gentle and lowly might look like, right. uh, rather than picture that I have right. sometimes I have in my head because it could either be like for me it was like this meek what does ever meek look like I'm not quite sure yeah. usually it was kind of like angry like I just did not when I, as I was growing up and I guess this is why I'm so grateful right now whatever it is about what forms you before you're 10 and as a teenager while your brain is still you know forming that really I just picture Jesus as either being irritated or totally confusing. Like, why did you say that? What are you saying? So I never understood that heart. Like, I knew he loved the world. I knew I was a Christian because I did, the story was compelling and I had some type of faith. But the heart part, I didn't understand. And so this feels just so good and freeing. And this morning I was listening to the story of Jesus when he's walking on the water and he's about and and the it's a storm and the disciples think he's a ghost and it says he's about to pass by and then um, and then they realize it's him and then he gets in the boat and I don't I at this moment I can't remember what he says but it was it's something maybe like you know where's your faith or it's oh no it's it's I it's I don't be afraid it is I and I think Years ago, when I was younger, I might have thought he was like chastising them. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid, it's me. Now I would read it and be like, oh no, he's just saying, it's me, it's yeah. okay. Um, 
And the thing that was interesting is the, the commentary on that idea of him passing by. Like you might think, oh, why was he about to walk past the boat? Mm -hmm. But the use of that word passing by has to do with the God's glory passing by. Mm -hmm. Like when God's glory passed by um, Moses mm -hmm. and that God's glory was passing by the disciples and they, they were missing it. Mm -hmm. And then he was saying, maybe in his heart for them, yeah. as we talk about this, it's me. Yeah. Now you get to see my glory. You know, yeah. anyway. Yeah. So. That's a lovely picture. Yeah, it's a lovely picture of Jesus doing what what the what the Father had done with Moses, passing yeah. by and saying, like, hey, this is me. It's I am. Right. I am who I am. And Jesus right. kind of does the same thing. Oh, I'm going to pass by and then I'm going to get on the boat and say, like, it's I. It's I am. It's me. Right. I, I, am. I am. So don't be afraid. Right. Like, because, yeah, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm here. Yeah. I'm and here now to suffer with you. Right. Uh, on, on the boat. Right. And it says that their hearts were still hard. So whatever that means, because they knew things about him. So it wasn't like they weren't believing, but there was something about unbelief. And he wasn't throwing up his hands in disgust like, why are you not getting this? He was still saying to them, it's me. Yeah. yeah. It's I. I am. You don't have to be afraid. Yeah. He was hanging in there with them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's lovely about this. When it sinks into us, we realize that Jesus is going to keep coming back coming back mm -hmm. to us and coming back to mm -hmm. us and coming back to us. And that's what a great comfort. Because I need it. I know. Uh, I need to be reminded over and over again. Oh, yeah. he's not, he's not going to give up. It's not like, oh, tomorrow, if I do this one more time, then Jesus gives up on me. It's like, right. no, actually, he's going to come back and come back yeah. keep coming back to me. And, and, and how, I don't know how to figure out that way of saying, well, then why am I going to keep sinning? You know, yeah. Paul says, well, no, of course I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Yeah. Whatever that because it's is. his kindness. It's his kindness. And I, yeah. I feel like that's what I'm learning. I'm learning that, oh, I am struggling in this thing. And I, once again, I'm asking for forgiveness. But I don't want to be struggling in this thing anymore. Like, I want to... And you're coming alongside me to help me with this. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being willing to sit here and talk through this. And, yeah, hopefully, as we all... Listen to different people on here. Yes. It sort of uh, helps us see more into our own life and helps us reflect more. Like, oh, I get to hear that person talk about it, and now, oh, I can see how mm -hmm. I've I've struggled with that. Or, oh, I I can hear how they're experiencing God, the joy of God continually coming after them, pursuing yeah. them with His love and. Hopefully that's an encouragement to all of us. So I hope so. I appreciate you doing this. With Thank us. you. Yeah. I think it's always good when we're willing to be transparent in different ways so that we can know we're not alone or we can get encouragement from other people. So if we hear each other's stories, we can grow in our own story, but then be united in all of our stories together. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, absolutely. And it's just fun to not hear from Luke. And me. It's just like, I'm sick of myself. And so no, I imagine. I'm not sick of you. Okay. So well, thanks. Leslie. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Heart of Christ, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit wheatlandpca.org.